I remember just like sitting there and being like, oh, I didn't hit my goal. I didn't do that well or against that goal. But that was like, I'm really having a good time. And I'm like, this is actually opening up some crazy doors I never realized. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Careers 2.0. This week, I had a pleasure to talk with Mark Bone. Mark is amazing filmmaker. Let it be enough to say that he worked with brands like Nike, BMW, or CNN. He started his career in humanitarian work in East Africa. And that's where the passion from documentaries and filmmaking came from. But we didn't talk much about it because for me, the most interesting part is how he transitioned from being a filmmaker and documentarian to being an online entrepreneur. We talked about productizing yourself and monetizing your knowledge, how to do it, what platforms to use, and what is the best way to build a huge community of people passionate about a thing that you are. But first, as we recorded it a couple days after the Super Bowl, I had to ask him about his favorite Super Bowl ad. Hi, Mark. Thanks for talking with me. Hey, yeah, no, good to see you as well. Listen, um, I hope you'll forgive me the, the, the first question, um, but we are recording this right after the Super Bowl and a huge part of, uh, of Super Bowl and of the cultural phenomena that it is, is of course the ads, right? Um, so I, I never talk with anybody with your particular portfolio. So I really want to know uh, any Super Bowl ads that stick out in your memory, historically. Historically, I, yeah. I always found um, there was this one Bud Light one with these knights where they were like, yeah. Uh, what What was the premise? They They would talk. They They were like ripping on every other beer company for for brewing with like extra ingredients. And oh, I wish I remember the line, but I remember like it was so funny. I like the second the Super Bowl was done, I went onto the internet and like went and found that and watched it again. Yeah, and again I, I literally and again. do it after every Super Bowl. Like the, yeah. the compilation of the best ads. I think for me it yeah. must be the. Um... Betty White one uh, with Snickers. I oh think it yeah, was. that was good. No, the Betty White <laughs> one was good. The problem is we're in Canada, and can Canada has some of the worst ads like in the world. Oh and yeah. So we uh, we get uh, just a few of the American ads, and then the rest is like really mediocre Canadian banking ads and like just like mortgage ads. And Got it's it. Like it's always. So I don't even last night when I watched the Super Bowl, I just didn't even watch the ads because I was like, I'll just go onto the internet tomorrow and watch all the American ads because right yeah. now I'm stuck watching like. TD bank ads in Canada and they're painful. You mentioned the mediocre ads. Um, what does what does what makes a great ad then? I think a great ad makes you forget that you're watching an ad, like like, like that the product is obviously present. It has to be, mm -hmm. but I think a great ad is just enjoyable to watch and doesn't feel like a company is trying to send you a variety of signals, whether it be like their, uh, uh, like that their product is the best or that. Uh, or that they believe in certain things. It's it's kind of it's right now. It feels like every company has almost forgotten about like what they actually do and the feeling that their product gives you. Mm -hmm. And it's either just too high on the technical, or to be honest, it's funny because you know I love making films that explore morality and justice and in different difficult situations. But I feel like every company right now, their only mandate is just a series of of some sort of uh, ideological perspectives which is it's totally okay but at a certain point i'm like what does your product do <laughs> like i understand what you stand for but help me understand your product or help me understand like like what this product will do for my life 
Um, and so I know I'm kind of talking, talking a bit ambiguous, but the, the advertising seems to be in a confusing place right now where, where every brand seems to be having a bit of an identity crisis. Do you think it's like that there are, that the only attempt is to be memorable, be mentioned, go viral rather than actually offer some value of their yeah. product? I, I remember, like, I've, I've left ads, so I don't know how much uh -huh. authority I have to kind of talk about this, but when oh, I was in, when I, when I used to do a lot of, like, work and direct a lot of advertising, um, it was interesting because I came from a, a really in, a small but scrappy um, agency called uh, Studio M here in Canada, and what, was, what they were known for was this really, one of the most viral videos ever at the time. So... That, that ad had done really well. And then every company or every brand rather that approached us says like, we want the WestJet Blue Santa video for our company. And it, it's a it's a good thing to want to go quote viral, like or maybe not necessarily is a good thing, but it's, it's aspiring to want your video to do well. Mm -hmm. But then to make that the only goal, I think you forget about doing good work. And I even had this realization recently where, I was really focused on advertising our academy recently. I was like, oh, you know, focusing like, got to get the videos, my YouTube videos better, got to figure this out, uh, just getting stressful. And then at a certain moment, I was like, okay, traditionally my channel has done really well with me not feeling like I have to do that much work for it. Mm -hmm. and, and I realized what's happened is I began focusing in the recent months on trying to be successful, where in the past I just made the videos that I found most enjoyable and I think what's so cool about YouTube and some of these places is that 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 expression of enjoyment, like that comes through and people want to be present into that. Like I, I just watched a 45 minute video this weekend of a guy rebuilding an arcade machine in his like apartment. <laughs> yeah. And it was so technical. I didn't understand half of it, but he was so passionate about it and was so into it and so detailed. I half of the video I just enjoyed watching him enjoy this process. And so that's where I'm like asking myself to come back around to advertising is like if if the brand and the audience aren't enjoying the experience, then then th that can be a great place to start to say, okay, maybe we need to pull back. Maybe our goals that we're trying to express through this uh, are are misplaced or not necessarily misplaced, but mm. m maybe we actually need to focus on the experience of this ad rather than just hitting all of our goals. Because when people leave a movie theater or they turn off a TV, they more so remember how they felt versus what they actually saw. And so I guess that's the question is like, how are you making people feel? And to check it, make it at like a box that you're checking uh, mm -hmm. that's when it becomes, uh, it can get a bit pedantic and it can, and it can feel disingenuous. You, you talk about the storytelling a lot. Is that sort of the core, um, of where the emotions come from, uh, whether it's a commercial or a documentary or maybe YouTube video is the, is, is the storytelling of, of the author that, that, that somehow leaves the emotions in, in the viewers or is there something more to it? Yeah, I think. Without desire, um, you're left with a with an assumption of what people are feeling. And what I mean is, desire is is this unique emotion we have as humans, which pulls us towards something. It's been uh -huh. wanting something. Um, and desire, I think, is more rather because wanting can be like, I want pizza. I like, I I want to, you know, 
I want more money. It's like these can just be really quick things. But when you desire something, it, it feels to embody more of you holistically. Mm-hmm. So I would say without desire in a film, which is kind of the place where stories start, someone wants something, they desire something, they, they, they want to pursue either a physical goal, like they want to get somewhere, or it's an existential goal. It's something emotional or in their mind. So we, uh, I think without recognizing that and like literally like writing it on a piece of paper so you're aware of what the core desire is of your film, and it can even be a short piece of, of, of cinema. It can be a, an ad, you know. Without knowing that, I think, yeah, you're right that it, it can be left without, um, without meaning. And then the audience's to assume what is going on. And then that's just where you get into kind of this race to the bottom that I feel like we're in right now, which is, are my shots more beautiful? Um, yeah. More than what people do is they recognize that their their little 30 second or minute video that they're putting together in any capacity, whether it's professional ad or just on their like YouTube channel, they'll look at it and go, oh, it needs something more. So they'll just add voiceover. <laughs> yeah. And they'll just like talk about things that are like big and 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 grandiose and you know, if you just made like beautiful images, if you went out and I'm talking cinematically in, in the, the film world and you forgot to pursue the core story elements, then uh-huh. I just, just, just embrace that. Like, like don't try and reshape it because your, your content that you've captured isn't what, what it needs to be. And so you need to let it be what it was, which was just beautiful images. Okay. Um, very interesting what you said about desire. And I wonder, um, I understand that every type of video, commercial here, YouTube video there, has different purpose. But in your yeah. in, in your um, in your point of view, the desire part are um, are videos more inclined or or should um, satisfy the desires of the viewers or rather create the desires. Ooh, good question. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. I'll have to think because we're talking about so many different formats of video right, right now, and so. You know, when I'm making a documentary film, whether it be a short or a long one, I, I have a complete different process than when I'm making one of my YouTube videos. Yeah, and right. with one of my YouTube videos, I'm always just thinking, what's the problem I'm solving here? You know, what's the question I'm asking here? And so yeah, I'm doing a video this week, which is about miking in the wind. So I'm like, how do you mic in the wind? I'm like, I just finishing off a film about tornadoes. You know, we had to have mics in the highest uh, degree of wind. So how did we do that? So um, yeah, you know, that's still a question and that creates a desire of like, yeah, I want to know how he does that. So, th- th- I mean, there is that core principle, but I think that the actual, um, exploitation of, of, of those theories goes in differently for the different films. I think that's where you, you have to ask about your audience and, um, your, your audience, if, if you're just going for a niche audience, they already innately have the desire built in. Like if I'm going to make a film about BMX like mountain bike riding, the audience that I'm going for already innately desires to know more and to see more content around that. And so, but if you're trying to reach a broader audience, which I I, I think we should be most of the time, um, you need to create the desire in them. And that's where, you know, there's a lot of things that we talk about in our our course in Academy Art of Documentary. We were always reiterating the idea that uncertainty is currency. And what that currency is, is you're purchasing your audience's attention. And so if you create a film about a certain topic, if you're like, you know, we have a lot of people who want to go after certain 
uh, topics like, oh, I want to make a film about climate change or about why you should be a vegan. It's If you don't create uncertainty around that, if you come in and just your film states all the facts off the top and says, we've solved the issue, here's going to be the information about that issue and, and here's why you know you need to listen. There's no uncertainty. It's like, okay, you know, it's clear your film already knows the answers and now I just have to sit here through this Wikipedia article essentially that you made with beautiful images that's attached to it and sometimes not so beautiful. But if you can create a question at the beginning of your film, whether it's YouTube or a documentary, that question then, what is a question? Well, it needs an answer. And so the answer is the uncertainty and that's the currency. And so you have to continually be creating the question and reminding the audience the question and then slowly seeding the answer. And I think what's the most fun filmmaking is when if you, um, as a filmmaker, go in with an honest perspective and that you say, like, I actually want to know the facts. I actually want to interview both sides here. That is a way more interesting journey than if you just have a strong thesis and you're like, I'm just going to prove my point with Mm -hmm. this film. Because then you just make propaganda. Because then you're intentionally leaving out the other side's perspective. And, and then you're, and then as an audience member, I feel that I'm just being fed certain answers, and I, and there is no uncertainty. But if you can pose the question, and I have to actually like wonder and think, and I watched the the questions uh, in different people in the film debating that, or the main character not knowing, and then you know we can get to having a main character in a film and why that's so important. But uh, yeah, I think uncertainty just reiterate that uncertainty is currency. Like that, that is really uh, what makes a powerful story for me. When does uncertainty becomes clickbait because it sounds like they're uh, like a thin red line you know when it's uh when i know i want to answer that genuinely because you're asking great questions i think uncertainty becomes clickbait when two things one when it's not actually the question that your film is exploring you know when you're like like uh i don't know I'm giving a million dollars away. You'll be surprised what happens next. And then like, that doesn't happen. Then it's well, like, un- unless you're Mr. Beast, then it's literally, unless I know exactly. <laughs> That's why he, he would actually be doing that. And, but, but he, but he builds a whole film around one concept mm-hmm. and one question, you know, he'll like, I heard him on a podcast on Lex Freeman and he was mentioning like, oh, they, they never, they killed this idea, but it was like one genius versus a hundred people. Like, that's a question like what what happens like who's smarter like a hundred uh-huh. normal people or like one genius and i don't know how you would quantify that or go about that battle mm-hmm. but that's why he's like he creates uncertainty with his uh mm-hmm. like with his um uh thumbnails and with his titles and with the whole experience and that's why you want to watch it and you know he doesn't plan his shoots all that much because he really like he plans them out but he doesn't know the result so mm-hmm. he, that that's like he's on the adventure with you and that's why it's so fun um so there is that tension, especially in documentary, of overplanning and underplanning. But if you already know the ending of your film and you're retelling a whole story, then you you have to move through the film as if you don't know the answers. Like the audience has to feel uh, that um, that they they don't know uh, that the film doesn't know how everything's going to turn out. Because then, like I remember once I was in theater a long time ago. I used to be like I, I can't call myself a stage actor, but in high school. It's part of a really cool theater pr- production called Zemo to Space Astronauts. It was about two clowns that go to space, literally, and it was it was uh, it was it was so fun. The first few performances were total flops. They were they went terrible. They like audience wasn't laughing. It was just painful. Like we rushed through them, and I remember um, uh, one of our uh, uh, like like Ian I think believe it was pulled me aside and said, 
Mark Bone knows the script. And you're like, and what we saw on stage was Mark Bone rushing through the script. He goes, but Zemo, my main character, this clown, Zemo doesn't know the script. He's living this script out. Mm -hmm. He's like, so like when, when you get up on stage tomorrow, he's like, this has to, the audience has to feel that this is the first time you've gone through everything. You have to discover what's happening on, like you have to, and that's the, that's like the the magic of acting is is discovery and and not actually uh, revealing that you know what's going to happen next that your the audience actually feels that life is unfolding. How does it um, correlate to your YouTube videos? How many of them are closer to documentaries where you just record stuff happening and then uh, sort of edit afterwards to create the story, or and how yeah. many of them are pre-planned, more like an ad that you have sort of a whole storyboard ahead of you. It's it, that that's a great question. And, and I really pour myself into my films, you know, I'll spend like a year working on them. And so I feel like for me, I've kind of kept my, um, my YouTube channel more so as a place where I get to then discuss that process that mm -hmm. like what we've done. And that's why we have art of documentary as well. And, and we love talking about the creation process and then how that all goes and so that's why like in aod we have like 150 videos we're probably gonna be 200 videos by march 13th this year with our with another editing course we've added to it and and we so when i go about those i'm more so just breaking down literally sometimes we'll just show behind the scenes footage of our films yeah. and be like here's how we approach this this is what what this looks like like this is what we were thinking in this moment but to come back around yeah my my youtube videos perhaps they could be more documentary based but I, I find as an artist, I, I'm highly, uh, I'm very intense and obsessive when I begin to get into my craft, which is, which is documentary storytelling. So to put the pressure on my YouTube channel to have that in same intensity, I think I would burn out. Now we've broken down our business model. We have our films, and then we talk about our films on our, on our YouTube channel, and then we go really into the depth on how to create that film in our art of documentary course. And then that helps fund our films. So we have more of like a triangle-based model in that sense that there's three separate entities that all are similar and working together. But there is something to be said about if you can find, um, like they say, when when your uh, schedule and your your passions align, uh, that's 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 true fulfillment as an artist. And so when you can when you can try and align those more often, like when I left film school, I wrote down on, on in my journal, like I'm a documentary filmmaker telling untold stories. Like my mm -hmm. whole thing was I wanted to find stories that were hidden, that hadn't been spoken about yet. How would you describe yourself now? Who are you now in contrast to that? No, I would say I'm the same person. Same person. Uh, with maybe a comma that says, and helping others do the same. Mm -hmm. Like, like, yeah, truly, I would add that comma and helping others do the same is like, um, you know, it's why I love, I have just, I'm, I'm so grateful that I've stumbled into AOD, the art of documentary that, that we run. Cause it's, it's not only do I just love my team that I get to work with, but you know, we have over 4,000 filmmakers in it and we're watching them tell these incredible stories from all walks of life, from all different avenues of the world. And that's been really, really cool. And just as fulfilling as making my own films is watching others, uh, uh, succeed. And so, I mean, that's one thing if someone's listening, like, Sometimes your success, your fulfillment in life isn't necessarily going to be hinging on your own accomplishments, but it might be helping some others reach theirs. And, and that, that is a great feeling that it really is like, and, and if it's not a great feeling seeing others succeed, I think you really need to ask, you pause and 
do some personal inventory because if you don't if you don't enjoy watching others succeed uh then you you might might have a scarcity mentality you might be scared and fearful that that you won't have the opportunity to succeed yourself and either you're doubting yourself too much or it might just mean that you're not putting the work in because uh you know if you put the work in success can happen no it's a vague expression like put the work in and success can happen (laughs) but i find often when i'm jealous of what other people are doing Uh i have to pause and be like well they just spent a year doing that thing have i no i haven't okay so i I don't have the place to be jealous (laughs) you know like yeah they did the work (laughs) they did the work so i should be inspired by that work all right, you mentioned AOD, so let's uh, let's talk about it. But uh, let's start at the beginning. Uh, tell me how a filmmaker becomes first um, online creator and then educator as well. Yeah, no, I, I definitely have to thank uh, Mattia Poya. He bugged me um, for 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 a good year to start a YouTube channel because he had started his, and we had been working with each other a lot. He would often come out and DP on like these commercials I was shooting. And then he even at one point was like, do you want to start a YouTube channel together? And I was like, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> I won't do it. I was more so afraid that it would hurt my persona as a director. He went and created Travel Fields, which eventually became Mati Hapoya, and that did really well. Uh, and I'm really grateful for how much he uh, pushed me. He kept saying, like, you got to start a channel. Like, No one's talking about documentary. Like, You could do it so well. And I really doubted myself. And I've told the story many times, but I like created the channel in my condo and I just, I, I made like, maybe three or four videos and never released them because I wanted I worked on them and made them to the point that they were really good and I wanted to know before I brought this to the world was it it goes back to the passion thing I was like do I enjoy this because I'm not I'm not gonna go put this in front of people if I'm not enjoying this and after a few months of just building these videos and no one watching them I'm just sitting on my hard drive literally only me I was like oh I actually do enjoy this like I do I do enjoy talking uh, like as you pr- probably have experienced on this podcast already. Like I just enjoy, uh, I, I enjoy just thoughts. Like I enjoy just thinking thoughts and working through them. And I'm the type of person where I don't really think before I speak. So you and I are both enjoying this conversation in the same way that I, I don't really know what's coming out of my mouth next. Um, but I do know whatever I say last is usually what I believe most because I'm verbally processing. But with that, I was like, okay, I enjoy talking. No one's talking about documentary. I see a lot of bad films out there. Uh, and I think every good entrepreneur, or every good startup business is solving a real problem. And the problem I saw out there was a glut of information online about cameras uh-huh. and not all that much about storytelling. And so uh, I'm really, you know, you can go back to my first YouTube video and I'm, and I'm like, I'm going to talk about making doc films. I'm going to take you on the adventure of making my films. Uh, and we're going to build this together, something like that. I had like three points, and I'm still kind of doing that. I saw that video, and you I did. was... Yeah, of course. I do my research, and I was immediately struck how natural you were. You know, like, usually when you scroll back to the first YouTube video on any creator, <laughs> it's like, it's cringy most of the time. Yours was yeah. not. So so with what you said, I'm very interested to know uh, which video... Who, uh, the first one on your YouTube channel, which one was it when you're actually in your, in your recording, in your, in your hard drive, you know? Was it like number four, uh, number one, or number 10 that you felt was good enough to, to be your first YouTube video? It, I did one where I went out and I spoke about how a tampon commercial helped me land a Nike, Nike commercial. Now that, 
that creates uncertainty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just, there was a few moments in it where I just got to be a bit goofy. And if, if, if anyone knows me personally on a day to day basis, like I'm, I'm just a total goof. Like, and it's so funny having this internet persona where sometimes people from Art of Documentary will meet me at film festivals and they're like, wow, you're, you're not as serious as I thought. <laughs> I think it was in that middle of that video. I, I, it, I could probably bring it down to one moment is I was on a bench and I realized I was really far from the camera. So I just grabbed, it was like a, an aluminum bench. I just grabbed it and pulled myself towards the camera and I just went, wee! <laughs> and I just like, I had a fun, and I, I remember like editing it and I was like, oh, that's fun. And I kept it in and then I was really? like, yeah, I was like, this is cool. Like, I like, I feel like I'm on these commercial sets and I have to be like the director and like, you know, like there's, there's such yeah. high budget sets, you know, I think that's just where I was like, oh, YouTube is going to be a fun experience for me to learn how to be myself more because I'm literally being myself in front of the world to call it, you know, the world has access to that. Like, um, it's not necessarily like the world's watching my videos. It'd be great if we had more views, but like, you know, it will always take more views, but, uh, it was, it was fun. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and what I always think with everything, like it, you know, in relationships in life, uh, for the most part, if it's going to be a serious relationship, romantically business, uh, you know, with a client is like work, go, go around the sun once, like go through every season, go around the sun once, like sometimes you'll know a relationship's toxic and you need to get rid of it right away but if you're like serious about something if you're like i really want to know if i want this part of my life like go around the sun once what i mean is just a year like there's something beautiful about the you know the centrifugal force of ripping around the sun um and so you come back around that and then you decide so for my youtube channel i was like i'm gonna do this for a year and then i want to know i'll make a decision but i put some like arbitrary things i was like if i don't have a hundred thousand subscribers that I'm going to quit, you know, like I gave myself some goals. I think a year passed by and I either had like 8,000 or 18,000, the, the number eight's in there, but I yeah. know it definitely wasn't over 20,000, whatever it was, it wasn't like crazy big, mm -hmm. but, um, I remember just like sitting there and being like, oh, I didn't hit my goal. Like, I think I'd missed my goal by like 75% then. And like, let's call it just 25,000. I was like, okay, like I didn't, I didn't do that well or against that goal, but that was like, but I'm really having a good time. And I'm like, this is actually opening up some crazy doors I never realized. So uh, it was it was kind of from that point on that I was like, no, I'll keep doing this. And then the pandemic happened soon after and that really blew open the doors on the channel. And and uh, and then we created the Art of Documentary in, in you know, about six months into the pandemic and uh, kind of rest was history in that way. And now slowly my economy was always commercials, YouTube, and then I had this random course. And now it's really like, you know, my, my main business is the course, but right. my passion is still doc filmmaking. Like what's so beautiful is that there's pressure on me to have to continue to create films. If I'm going to be teaching what I would like to think is the world's yeah. best documentary academy. Can you tell me how you look um, at your YouTube channel uh, right now versus maybe how you looked at it when you started? What I mean is, uh, you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that uh, you you do feel this pressure right now that you never felt before that you need to be better, create more courses, mm -hmm. not courses, but create more content, better content. How do I do this? And is this fun that that you had for the first year, or, or do a little bit shifted because maybe YouTube became like a sales channel, and and that's where the pressure is coming from? Yeah. Yeah, if it's only ever ad reads and sales, it, 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 that's not that fun. And then it's like mm -hmm. I left commercials because i felt like youtube was so fun 
So I'm trying to get back to that and then and integrating the the ad reads or everything within that world of fun. Because if I'm not having fun making the videos and I'm not having fun watching them after we've edited them, no. the audience isn't either. So uh, yeah, it's been like this quick little reformation I'm having at the beginning of this year where, you know, I was like, let's put all this like the sales structure, you know, like let's think about the videos we're doing because we really do like, I'll never apologize for talking about art of documentary. Like I really can't because to me, I'm doing a disservice to my audience. And, and I'm not saying that um, in a self-serving way because it is like our business, but the amount of testimonies that we get out of Art of Documentary and the emails I get, and people literally, I had a guy buy a piece of gear off us from Art of Documentary, came to the door and he was in tears. He was just like, I just need you to let you know like how much this course has changed my career. Like, And so he, hearing that, like we just put it out there. We're like, we're going to put all the knowledge that we've had from our careers, what works best for us and really simplify it, put it into like a deep dive, but digestible videos and we're just like how would we want to interact with a course so it's like i don't want to sit through eight hours a day it's like i'll let people watch it whenever they need to so we just built mm. it to what we liked and people really enjoyed it and we and we are watching our students get into film festivals landing broadcast deals like getting six-figure contracts for their retainer clients so that's been so fun so that's where i'm like now i feel like a disservice if i don't talk about it mm -hmm. but people don't know that because they haven't experienced it so it's like how do you then talk about something you believe in in a way that's still fun and engaging and that's that's uh that's enticing for people and so that's where i i you know I, that's the place we're at right now and so you know we have some fun stuff we're going to be releasing in the next few weeks but that's been a new challenge and so rather than looking at it as an annoyance i have to look at it as a as a new challenge and so yeah. whenever you level up if you want to grow your business how do you come back to that first love like how do you come back to that place where you still feel that magic that excitement and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't have a formula for that. Uh, but I would say like, sometimes you just got to make a video for the sake of enjoying it. It's like, you know, it, even if it doesn't do well, if it's good for you. Uh, but then also too is, uh, there's this weird thing in, in YouTube where I've seen it, I've coached people in this and that I've been even experiencing it myself is you'll, is you'll just keep going back to the videos that worked for you once upon a time. But like, our our way we interact with each other now isn't like the old days of TV where it's like a formula would always work and if you just reshape if you just add a new color to the formula like new characters or new setting the formula would work but it's not that the formula doesn't work but the the format changes so frequently yeah. with the algorithm with AI with these things so me making long form content on YouTube right now, it's like, I'm really having to admit it might not be where all of our best access is, but, or I really need to continue to think about how is this going to be the best long form content. And I'm, I'm interested to know whether the idea for AOD or some sort of educational content around documentaries came first and the audience came second with the purpose of building an audience to create this educational content, or it was uh, rather uh, I, I have an audience, I see uh, people having a need and I would like to fulfill it with, with the educational content. No, no, no. Every good business is, is solving a problem. And, uh, we, I put out a, a little questionnaire, like, again, I've learned how much data from your audience, like real data and listening to it is important. So I put out a little questionnaire on my community tab on YouTube. Mm -hmm. This is when my channel had 8,000 subscribers. I just said, Hey, if I created a documentary course, a, would you want it if it was free b would you want it if it uh if it was paid or c don't care 
and I got like 900 responses almost and uh, 98 of them was yes and then 50% of those was yes if it's free and then the other 50 was yes you know I would pay for it and so I was like okay so I already have a build I have this like people who want this product I go and I feel like I could convince a bunch of these people who like like when I say convince I could show them the value proposition I could show them the value of the course so then I just was like okay I'm gonna make a course and uh, uh, it was it was a year later that I really started on it uh, as things go and because uh, not every not every good idea you have do you need to do immediately or that you need to do at all but this was an idea I couldn't get out of my brain and so yeah I just started writing a course and uh, it, it kind of it, it went from there but um, so I had just I didn't really know the goal of YouTube I just knew that you know eventually you could maybe perhaps start making me money um, and so I was you know it was just like let's add one more stream of income into my my world so that you know you're more robust the more streams you have because as one dries up perhaps another will be flowing a bit more so can you share how your streams of income look uh, these days where the majority comes from um how it splits for sure it used to be the majority was my commercial work where Mm -hmm. that's just a small small percentage very very small um, the the majority would be uh, you know I do like I would start from the top of what's biggest I'm just mm-hmm. guessing and then kind of go down art of documentary would be the biggest the next would probably be ad reads in my YouTube channel uh, then the next might be stock video and those sort of deals uh, and and then like then like affiliates like Amazon or or other brands that I'm working with then might be depending the year it really depends the year then will be my directing like some years my directing depending the if i'm doing passion projects it's like nothing but then if people are hiring me out then i'm getting paid a lot more per project you know and so then you can make like a full salary as a director so it depends the year right like two years ago between all the docs i because i've been hired to direct a lot of documentaries that Mm -hmm. year like that was a huge part of my income and that was great but uh, I also don't put the pressure in my business model that I have to make money from my films, which is great because then I can make any sort yeah. of film I want and just put it out there. Um, so then, yeah, then there's the directing and then there's all the the rest of the, the, the little things, whether it's like, you know, picking up a gig here or there or uh, renting out, you know, gear like I used to. I don't know. There's so many like little randoms. There's AdSense. I don't even pay attention to the AdSense. It's, it's so minimal. But AUD is clearly number one. Uh, so you make a living out of this right now. Um, so how does the process go? Uh, how long did it take you to get there? Uh, did you also have to stick around for a year with that uh, before uh, making profit? Or it was because of your audience no, it almost was, making success? It was, a, it was you know, we, we, we didn't have to invest much. We, we already had the gear. We already had the mm-hmm. knowledge. We already had editors on salary. Uh, we just paid like, you know, six grand up front to a marketing company that had done courses before that just could help us. Just they had a whole process. Um, uh, uh, I think it's called Expert at Scale. They're really great people, and they just they helped us. Like, you're gonna need a website. You're gonna need to talk about it ahead of time on your these little things. I just would not have done. Uh, and so it was that was really helpful, and that was worth every dollar of that. Because uh, we still I- implore or, or 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 use some of their their teaching models, um, so no, it was AOD was profitable right out of the gate. What is the most important element of creating a course? The most important is 
is uh, that when people are inside, it actually helps. Like mm-hmm. it, it does what you it, it 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 hits the value proposition and goes further than it. When I say the value proposition is what we try to use that rather than like just the word advertising or like call to action is we we believe that our product has value and will and will increase the value of someone's career. Like and so we we're whenever we create content. Uh, you know, I'm someone of faith, so I run it through the the two greatest commandments. Is just what we tell our team is like, there's love your Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So for us, like whether you're a Christian or not, like is your personal life intact? Like are are you as a team member, part of AOD? Are you finding you know is that your faith or is that your meditation? Whatever it is, like take control of that because how can we go out and help others if we haven't helped ourselves? Then the second is love your neighbor as yourself. So whenever we create, whenever we hit record, we're always, that's in our brain saying, how is this helping someone? Would I want to be the person on the other side of this information? Like if what I'm saying right now, the, the words leaving my mouth, if I was that person, would I, could I actually apply to that to my life or my career? And would that actually help? And if we don't feel it is that if I wouldn't want the advice I'm saying, we don't say it. So what's great is it makes our videos really simple as we create three points, um, and then we 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 just create three points, and then ask ourselves: Is this um, is this actually going to help someone? And so, why I would say the most important part of the course to tie that all together is is does your is is, is it actually going to help someone? Like, don't just mm-hmm. talk for the sake of talking. You're wasting people's time. Like, you're you're literally wasting resources on this earth. You're putting data on a hard drive. <laughs> that was mined from some mine. It's like, just don't talk for the sake of talking, like believe in what you're saying. And so uh, that would be the most important thing. And then the second most important is like, is what's your value proposition? Like, have you, have you addressed a pain point for an audience? And do they know that your product actually solves that pain point that, that, you know, again, does it solve that problem? How big the pain point has to be like, you- art of filmmaking or even art of doc- making documentaries it's a very wide subject so did you try straight up to just make a complete uh master on all things uh, documentaries and filmmaking or you are rather narrowed it down at the beginning and now build up uh, upon it not every module can go into all of the depth so what we do is we're really attentive to where our students are in that course and we look at the pain points that they keep bringing up and then we're either able to create more content inside that course or what we've recognized is like we're going to be doing a full producing course this summer because we've realized that is a big unknown like no one's really done great like the, the you know the producing like content and you know your audience on this podcast is the first to know about that that we're going to be doing that and we're working with some amazing experts how do you price a course like that oh we're way underpriced we're way underpriced yeah you probably could earn more charge more yeah. Uh, how 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 did you decide on the, on the specific pricing and uh, are you growing it or planning to grow it like with the next cohort? Yeah, no. Every in? every launch goes up like five percent in price. Mm-hmm. Um, it just has to inflation. We're adding more people to our team. We're adding like we're giving. We keep adding more things to our course that we're not charging mm-hmm. for. So inherently, the price has to go up. And it's also I want to signal to people that like this is valuable. And so we, I keep getting people commenting on my YouTube channel or on our social media platforms being like, oh, I can't afford it right now. I hope one day. And I'm just like, you can't afford not to. And it says less about our course and more so I think people's relationship with money. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's sad to me that people feel like hoarding their money 
when it comes to investing into themselves will get them further, which it's like, I don't know, tighten up in some other areas, go sell a lens and buy the course because like that extra lens sitting in your kit's not going to, your client won't care, but your client will know, will care if you know how to tell their story because the craft of documentary, it started with like Nanook of the North. It started with like a filmmaker following an interesting person. Yeah. Like, but these docs are like just shot all in studio and it's just kind of like they get incredible DPs to go re shoot recreations. And like, yeah, like some of my, my film for C CNN about 58 hours about this girl getting rescued out of a well. We, we did it. We, you know, we did just interviews with a lot of the characters, but then I made sure to put them out, take them back to the location. Like I, we, we, we used all the archival footage we could ever and we reshot all these. Like we tried to make it more of a film as much as we could. So I understand when you're retelling a story, like I really put it this way. I really loved uh, Night Stalker. That was a really incredible Netflix that series. But the way that was shot, I really felt like I was watching it unfold. And, the, and that filmmaker did an incredible job to actually like bring us on that journey. But I don't know. I'm, I, I feel feel weird just criticizing such a big brand. Netflix has done great <laughs> things for documentary. But I'm worried that because they work to an algorithm like YouTube, their their uh, art is being controlled by analytics uh, rather than the actual craft. And I might be romantic romanticizing this and I understand they have a business model, but I think that's also like a lot of people are leaving that platform right now. And I worry about it because it's like it used to be a really beautiful place for for independent doc filmmakers to bring their work. And so I don't say this to hate on Netflix, but saying like, like, like maybe there's a renaissance for that that could happen right. if, if we begin to promote and fund those great films like Navalny. That was a great film. You mentioned algorithms, um, and that I think beautifully ties into the short form um, that is overtaking us. I think uh, on one of your stories on Instagram, you mentioned that you don't trust uh, TikTok. I think that was the that was the line. <laughs> I did, yeah, I just and, said that. And then you had a and you had a you had a reel about um, Instagram as well, how of a attention sucker it is, and you started it like it being a beautiful platform for video and uh, pictures at the beginning. And now became just a you know endless mindless scroll. How, how does how do you look at this content from the sort of professional perspective? Uh, how much of art can you do in in such a format uh, versus how much is just just basically a hook and not a story that even ever goes anywhere? The algorithm likely will change again soon. <laughs> so you know, to have to feel locked in to talk about the same like to. You know, I, I I have some friends right now who are bragging. I, I did 14 reels this week, and it's like that's awesome. Like like that, that's, no, no. that's really like that is an accomplishment. Like that's a lot of work, but we don't ever want to get caught into quantity over quality. We we kind of want our content to remain evergreen. And again, it comes back down to like you know, are are we loving our neighbor as ourselves? Like it, I know that sounds like such a virtue signal or 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 so altruistic, but it, it does this content. Like, could someone return to this in three years from now and it still helps them? Even reels and TikToks, you look at it the same? Like, I, I always look at them as something that has, you know, a shelf life of 24 hours or, or, and that's it. Then the impressions stop. Yeah, well, I don't I don't really look at that stuff that much. Like, when we, to me, I when I look at a reel, I'm like, does this, does this help? And so, yeah, that's probably why we're not like viral successes, but our our business model isn't about like, getting lots of tiny little cents per view uh -huh. you know like we have this strong um really big product in the back end with art of documentary um so i'm not too stressed on that but 
you know, I might not be the expert to talk about that stuff because I don't, I don't spend a whole lot of energy focusing on the algorithm as much as I do on the content. And, and it might just be because I have two, if I, I literally have a limited amount of time. Like I have my weeks, my days down chunked into like two hour blocks and I need to protect some of those two hour blocks, not to just study the algorithm, but to be, you know, calling up people in different countries and journalists researching my next films. So what is the business model? Uh, Where does the most of the clients for AOD come from? I mean, it all comes through, well, not all, but more so, you know, I don't know what percentage, the majority Mm -hmm. of it though would come through my YouTube. Like that's like, you know, I have 200 and at this time of this video is just over uh, Mm 210,000 subscribers. And so it's focusing on still continuing to create good content on there that helps people. Uh, and then also that that points them if they want to go deeper, you know, they can come over to AOD. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's the business model right now. And then you know, we we've we've never spent a dollar on advertising, and mm-hmm. I'm proud of that because it says that we we can focus on creating content that people actually want to watch, and then in turn, we you know suggest like, hey, check out the check out our documentary. Maybe once in a while, I get people complaining about that, but I'm not too worried because. They're not our customer. If like, if you really think that me talking about AOD is like a bad thing, then you don't know enough about it. And maybe it's about, maybe it's my fault for not explaining it well enough. Um, but I also think like, if you think like a documentary course is so annoying, then it's like, you're probably not our customer. How do you balance the um, amount of pitching for, for, for the course that you do and uh, versus the content or the, you know, the, the enjoyment part of, of making a video? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, talk to me in uh, a few months from now. <laughs> I'll, I'll know after our next launch because we're actually in that right now. And I had a discussion okay. with our team, and so yeah, it's a uh, it, it that that is always a uh, it's just figuring that out. That that's where we're at right now, truly. And and I don't want to just uh, I can talk about where I'm at. I don't want to give advice on it because I don't know if I have it. But again, it's like it's coming back to like if we're not having fun, they're not having fun. Mm-hmm. So why don't we talk about AOD in a fun way? And so, yeah, we have a really, we have an insane giveaway coming out in the next week or two. I just got all the pieces of equipment for it. It's like, we're building out the, our, yeah, I don't want to say too much until the video is released, but it, it'll, I'm like, I'm, I'm excited about that because it's stuff that I really like using. And, and so to, to get to give away that to, yeah, that would be really cool. So yeah, you can even see I'm smiling because that video is going to be really like, I can't wait to do that video. So I know the audience is going to love that video. You mentioned a team, um, how many of you are there? Um, how many how many people takes to to run this show? Yeah, you know we have a we have a lot of contractors, but the core team would be like five of us, uh, as in like pretty much five people who work nearly full nearly full time. We're not all quite full. Like it's not it's not every hour of every day. You know, I would say we all work maybe about three days a week on AOD, two to three days a week. Um, but, uh, that's Michael Dalmonte. He's the co-founder of AOD and an incredible feature film director. He's done like four or five feature docs. Um, then we have Kim Dabrowski. She's been with me for like, uh, I think about three years now. Uh, and she's just amazing at running our community. She's just such a, uh, beautiful person, uh, inside and out and how she just like loves on every person. So it's like, she, she makes every AOD person who comes through the emails and and on our community feel known which is awesome like that's like you want people who care and she really cares you mentioned community already twice i think and i think it's a really uh, interesting uh, question if i may Uh, yeah so 
I see this shift in online education in general, I think, uh, towards sort of more cohort-based courses where it's not just you are downloading some videos and, and going at your own pace, but you're actually interacting or working with other people, get inspiration and motivation from them. How important is community in, in education, online education? That's huge. We, we didn't realize how big that would be for AOD, but we now like we, we even give money, like we've seen like how just excited our students are to meet each other and that and that's been so exciting that they're learning from each other and not just Mike and I um because Mike and I are the face of the course that that we now literally we give our students money to pay for their drinks you know whether it be coffee or beer when they go meet up because we want that to happen like because from there they 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 start working on each other's films they start hiring each other out and so yeah we started this little fund We've had students from around the world, Australia and Vancouver, Canada, and all these places like do these meetups. It's so cool. And uh, that's been like a testimonial that's really come out of the past year of AOD where people keep saying like, I, uh, I've i not only got a lot out of the course content, but I get just yeah. as much out of the community. And so, uh, you know, it's that old adage, if you want to go fast, go alone, but you want to go far, go together. And so we we believe in that. And I think inherently we are community-based people. Uh, I think there's a lie that you can live, like you're self-made, you live your life. It's like, no, every every contribution, even if it was a bad relationship, has motivated you towards that goal. Do you plan the course now more uh, for collaboration as well? Uh, or, or how do you engage uh, the community, except for paying for their drinks, of course? <laughs> I know. Um, people are just gonna, they're just gonna show up to be like, yeah, I heard Mark, Mark will buy me a cocktail. Um, I guess I would. Um, but, uh, no, we, uh, we, we plan it around just like even community based events, uh, and we do monthly calls. Uh, we do, we make sure our feedback calls when people are getting feedback happens in, in a live group setting. That's important because people give advice while Mike, Mike does these coaching calls every other week. Or if you're part of module two, you can book a time slot and you get advice for your project. It's really awesome. It's so cool. And people, we do that with a live audience. It's like, no, we're all, we're all, we're all journeying our careers together. If there's something private and we don't record the calls because then people can talk about NDAs and that sort of thing. It's, it is a private, it's not publicly posted, but, um, yeah, we, we, we do a lot of things to foster that in-person meetups, monthly community calls the bi-weekly uh, uh, feedback calls and then our Facebook group is crazy that's like 2,700 filmmakers in that and they're they're putting job postings they're putting rough cuts up there they're commenting on each other's work uh, that is that's been really cool just to see like I, so many of us say that we like we wouldn't have fa- I would delete my Facebook tomorrow if it wasn't for Art of Documentary because that's just in, in the best form best uh, platform for a global community we're in over 70 countries so that that's where everyone meets what are the advantages of online education versus uh professional let's say school education even in your case uh how would you compare the course that you made to the education that you got yourself yeah well nothing ever beats being on set with other people and that's one thing that film school inherently has an advantage of like when i say when i say film school i mean like a physical school that you attend is you're going to learn how to like mm-hmm. interact with other humans and that's usually part of filmmaking uh, that used to be the big advantage over art of documentary that film schools had was we're like, yeah, if you, if you want to learn how to like physically touch the gear and like interact and collaborate in person, like then, then you would consider film school. Uh, but now that that's kind of like, we're doing that now, like we're doing meetups in different 
uh, cities and, and that there is this like encouragement like we as a team we've even uh, hired a lot of our students on our films and then what's really cool is we have AOD films this is a whole new division part of art of documentary where we're funding our students films and we're hiring only AOD people so it's like we're creating whole films and I you know not many film schools fund their students films and that's what we're doing we're getting really amazing brand partners physical film school you're there and then you also can get like a accredited diploma we can give certificates we're not yet an accredited school we eventually would like to be that's a goal we'll partner with uh, uh a university of some sort um but right now uh but then our prices would have to go up but right now we we feel like we're reaching more people and i wish there was a way just to reach even more um so but that's that's where we're at right now any goals that you have for the upcoming year Yeah, we want to double, double in size. Well, I would love to be, if you know, if we were chatting on this podcast in a year from now, I'd love to be saying that we have 8,000 students. Uh, would love to say that, um, you know, we, we have twice as much course content, which at this point we have all the contracts in place with the right people to get that done. Um, and I would more, even more than all of that, as I love to say that we have four or five original AOD films like that, that were entirely shot, produced, edited within the AOD community. Um, so yeah, that's, those, those are some of the goals. And so just staying, focusing on that. Um, Adam would love to say that, uh, I didn't get burnt out <laughs> that I took, but, that I took enough time off, you know, uh, I love everything that yeah. I do, but the problem is even, you know, you can love running, but you can run to the point that you get injured. And so I think even with our film careers, it's like, I love filmmaking, but I can continue to be passionate about filmmaking to the point that it doesn't help my, my, my own life holistically. All right. And then there's the. I'm very much looking forward what will happen to the YouTube channel. How will that? Yeah, uh, we'll see. I, I'm that... going to have some banger videos coming out in the next few weeks. So keep an eye. I have a really cool one on frame rates. Those always do well, but I also like, there's been one question again, always like solving a problem. There's one question that people always ask about frame rates. So I really attacked that question in this next video. And uh, I have a great new editor, Eli from um, from Nashville, who, who uh He, he he's done a great job with that video but I, I wanted just to quickly finish off just mentioning the team there was Landon Metcalf yep. who runs our content and helps with with our marketing he's just he's so easy to work with I just I just love bra bragging on our team because I would hang out with every one of our team members just if I just run into them and met them and I don't know if that's a good business model just to have people who you consider friends but I love them. It's like I hang out with our our, our main uh, lead editor, Lewis Gordon, who's creating the perfect cut. He's an awesome guy. He's fun to be around. We go play hockey up at his place, and it's like, yeah. So I, I really love my team. There's so many other amazing uh, contractors that we collaborate with that would take me like an hour to mention all of them. But yeah, some really cool people. Well, I I think um, I would like to add to that that yeah, I think working with friends is a great business. Yeah, uh, yeah. As long as the business doesn't destroy the friendship, that's that's where the line is yeah you know. they say g good contracts make better friendships i think or or you know strong contracts make great friends and so we uh we make sure to have contracts with everyone in place uh to to protect that because there is a huge risk and i've even noticed that like some people who i've hired were like some of my closest friends beforehand and yeah. I ha you have to have that talk you got to look each other in the eye and just say as soon as i hire you this is like adding a new element In, from the periodic table into our yeah. relationship. I'm thinking about relationships that were working. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's a tough one, you know? And so you really have to, 
you really you really have to be careful with it. I think there will always be a time if you're not leaving amicably um, that there will be a time where where you you will draw further apart. But there's a weird thing too in life where some of your friendships are based on the work that you're in or the communities that you're involved in. And so mm-hmm. it can feel like that relationship's much closer than it actually is where once you remove that natural mechanism of meeting up, you're like, oh, we actually, I don't actually need to see that person or I yeah. want to see them. So that happens. Well, you know, um, we are not friends and I have known you for uh, the past hour and a half or so, but I, I really, I, I am the guy that wants to talk with you again. So I hope that maybe in a year or so, uh, we can, we can do it again and you can tell us about the experience of doubling your AOD, what do you say? Yeah, no, that would be fun. You know, that, that puts pressure on me, but we can come back, uh, next year and, uh, I can either talk about why it didn't happen or why it did. So I really hope it's why we did, but. It would also be great information for everyone of, uh, of why, it, why it did. There are lessons everywhere. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. It was, it was a great pleasure. Yeah, Philip, really appreciate you having me on and great, and great questions. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. And that's another episode done. If I were to take one thing from the conversation with Mark would be the concept of taking it around the sun once. I love it. And that's actually what we're trying to do with the podcast. We're trying to take it around the sun once and see where it takes us. So if you would like us to take it around the sun a couple more times, please help us out. Comment, share, and most of all, subscribe. And I'll see you in the next one. Cheers.